Hello and welcome to the Have We Got Planning News For You podcast series. My name is Charlie Banner and I'm a member of the panel of the show, which is made up of five senior barristers who specialise in planning law, who came together at the start of lockdown last year to inform, entertain and most importantly help raise money for charity. We've never charged the show, but we've always encouraged viewers to make a donation, either to the NHS Combined Charities page or other charities such as Shelter or Local Charity of your choice. You'll find details on our website. Enjoy the podcast. And welcome. Hello. From from not the beach, um, Charlie Banner of Keating Chambers. I must say, I was desperately hoping I could get up to Melton in the East Riding of Yorkshire today. Uh, and uh, <laughs> that's where I was planning, Chris. Paul was in on my secret. Sadly, it would have cost me a divorce. <laughs> um, so, uh, but it will happen. It's only a matter of time before I shall be broadcasting one of these from East Riding, and in particular Melton. Um, thank you all for joining us on our. 15th episode of Have We Got Planning News For You, the, the final show of our first season. Um, before we proceed, the usual three reminders, just in case there are those watching who haven't recently. Um, firstly, uh, weekly encouragement to you to make a donation to the NHS Combined Charities page, nhscharitiestogether.co.uk or a local charity of your choice. Secondly, please do keep the usual questions, comments and banter phone. We've already had a number of comments on, on uh, Chris's outdoor roving location. Uh, we've got Chris in stereo today, all the better, which is particularly, <laughs> particularly hilarious. You look like, uh, <laughs> like somebody in the borrowers in the second. Uh, they've, honey, I shrunk the Chris. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, please do visit and follow our LinkedIn page as well as our website. We're about 30 um, follows of 2,000 followers on LinkedIn. So if there's any of you watching who haven't followed us, it'd be wonderful if we get over the 2,000 mark on our final day of our first season. Um, as the flyer made mention, we've got no special guests this week as we thought it'd be nice to, to end our first series as we started back on the 23rd of April. How long ago that now seems with just the five of us. Um, as we predicted last week, there's been a splurge of activity in the planning world, in the courts, planning decisions, um, and of course, all those legislative changes, uh, all of which we'll discuss uh, during the course today. And that's before the long-awaited planning policy paper has been um, published, which it still hasn't been, um, watch this space in that regard. So, um, now it's time to introduce the panel, as I'm, I'm Charlie Banner Keating Chambers, I'm currently in my uh, chambers, um, and um, I'm drinking um, this, uh, I think you can see this, uh, this Andy Warhol Tate Modern Special Beer. I've got no particular reason for having it. I, I probably should look like that after two weeks of a young child. Um, though thankfully Michael's sleeping in the, mo um, in the moment very well, touch wood, so I don't. But I went to the excellent Andy Warhol exhibition at the Tate Modern um, in Bankside. I commend it to you, it's brilliant. Um, now reopen after having been shut for a very long period due to COVID. So if you're in or near London, do go and see that. It's called Death by Cheesecake. It looks disgusting, but it actually tastes very nice. Um, Mary, good afternoon. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm in the woods in Wandsworth. My name's Mary I'm a partner at Town And actually, I'm driving tonight. So unusually for me, 
there's a bit of outside interference here. And usually for me, I'm on the wagon and I'm drinking water. For <laughs> now. <laughs> Paul. Uh, yeah. Hello, Charlie. Um, I'm currently in a car park just around the corner from where my wife has just had uh, dental treatment, which is why I'm out and about. And I've driven to Hanford Dean, where if you look behind you, you can see the sign up for the inquiry that David Elvin lost last year, just next to the site that I won. So that's why I've come here. And I'm <laughs> drinking Buxton water, uh, which is uh, because I'm driving, obviously in the car, and also because of the three Secretary of State decisions today that were issued in relation to grants of housing within uh, Amber Valley District. So cheers to Jenry. And you managed to get another one of your victories in there first up, Paul. So you've got your contractual right to mention your, your victory every week. Um, Chris, <laughs> uh, the roving reporter. I don't know which Chris we should be looking at. <laughs> the miniature version or the, or the large one. Uh, it's brilliant. Uh, where, where are you today? Somewhere very nice by the look of it. Oh, you muted yourself. Shit. <laughs> can you hear me now? I can hear you indeed, absolutely. Okay, well, you will recognise where I am. Obviously, I'm in West Bromwich. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm in the Isles of Scilly, and uh, I'm here on the island of Tresco, uh, where I am, in fact, conducting an inquiry. My inquiry didn't finish. Uh, last week and the start of this week and the inspector Christina Downs asked very kindly if we'd manage, managed to continue this week so with a family holiday booked uh, I flew over and um, we're doing the inquiry from here I have to say I've got nothing to drink because uh, don't believe the 3.30 finished these virtual inquiries uh, Christina Downs had us uh, reviewing the section 106 until 4.45 and then I've hot-footed it down to the desk. I haven't conducted the whole inquiry from this particular desk and uh, I must say thank you to the Tresco estate for taking all the effort to, to get the desk down here and uh, all the other uh, paraphernalia so that I might complete my dream of a Monty Python sketch um, <laughs> which is now something completely different. <laughs> you, you've surpassed even yourself Chris, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Uh, not me down with the feather. You've actually changed your jacket for the first time. <laughs> I have. I've got. I have got. Where is it? There we go. Look, the Samaritans. That yeah, this yeah, is yeah. my cycle top, which Chris recognised. I haven't got a Scooby Doo where I am. I'm somewhere in Devon, <laughs> but I've spent all day trying to get here. I get here at four forty-six, and my wife <laughs> disappeared. So our marriage is probably over tonight. I managed to get my computer going and I'm here having cycled 79 miles today and I'm dead. Wow, that's fantastic. Fantastic. You have a drink, you'll keel over. Well, uh, <laughs> good to be so, so impressed with what, you're, what you've been doing. Um, now, um, without further ado, uh, we've got so much to crack on uh, with. Let's uh, start. And we've got um, Court Case of the Week is our first slot, uh, of which there are two this week. And the first one is uh, Keepbourne End Green uh, and Buckinghamshire Council, um, originally in Wick Wickham Council, but then um, uh, they got replaced by the Unitary Authority. I'm going to kick on this off on this one. This was a judgment of, of Mr Justice Holgate, a, a um, characteristic um, tour de force, running to some 50 pages. Um, 
it was a challenge to uh, by a local residence group to the Wickham local plan, which um, included a number of greenbelt releases. So yet again, um, a, a challenge to a greenbelt uh, local plan. Uh, if hot under hoops footsteps of the Lees challenge, uh, and so on. Um, the plan had been submitted prior to the 2018 framework and therefore housing requirement was calculated by reference to uh, uh, OAN rather than the standard method. And the, uh, the OAN was based upon the 2014 based Office of National uh, Statistics population protections and household protections. Uh, on the last day of the EIP, the 2016 based projections were published and they uh, resulted in a reduction in the projected growth in the number of households in the district by 42%. And, and essentially what the claimant said to the inspector was that um, this um, should have been uh, reapplied to the um, local plan, which would reduce or remove the need for greenbelt releases. And the inspector refused um, to do so. She uh, said in, in, in broad terms, there was firstly some doubt about the reliability of the 2016 projections. Secondly, she doubted that they would lead to a, a substantial redu reduction in the requirement as the claimants contended because of various uplifting factors, because of course the projection is only the starting point. And thirdly, she was understandably concerned about the delays of the plan because wouldn't necessarily have to go back to square one, but it would have to go back an awful long way uh, when the examination was in its final day. Uh, and, and the claimant said that this was a, a misinterpretation of the relevant parts of the planning practice guidance, uh, which talk about the use of up-to-date uh, evidence where possible. Um, and, and they also said this was inconsistent with the Guildford local plan, uh, also involving Greenbelt releases, where the uh, local authority with the um, endorsement of the inspector, Jonathan Bohr, use the 2016 projections. Uh, and in um, very emphatic terms, uh, Mr. Justice Holgate rejected those arguments. There are other issues too, but these are the main issues. Uh, and what he said um, was that on a proper interpretation of the PPG, um, where possible didn't really mean where humanly possible, but required consideration of, of ex expediency. Um, and uh, he considered that the inspector had been perfectly entitled to have regard to the prospect of considerable delay to the plan's adoption, as well as the other factors that she did. Um, and he also went on to say that the application of the PPG guidance about uh, when there was a meaningful change that um, should be taken into account uh, at the latter stages of the plan's examination, um, that uh, that was a planning judgment capable of a, different, of a range of different reasonable responses. And therefore, the fact that Guildford and the examining inspector of the Guildford plan had taken a different approach and they had applied the 2016 projections didn't um, compel Wickham to take that approach here. And I'd add this, that I've seen this issue come up uh, recently in relation to uh, two other plans which are currently under examination and the 2018 projections have popped up. And, uh, and the inspector has asked uh, various questions in relation to that. Uh, and it seems to me that the key message from the court in, in this situation is whether to revisit the, the, the fundamentals of the plan in light of new projections published after the plan submission is, is an evaluative judgment for the local planning authority and uh, the examining inspector. There's no hard and fast rule. And so if you get somebody saying uh, uh, in any particular case that then you must go back to square one because that's what the PPG requires, as the claimants are doing in the Wickham case, they're over-egging it. It's not true. Um, and uh, the proper position is to have regard to um, the range of common sense, uh, relevant planning factors and take a formed decision about what to do. 
Um, Mary, do you have any thoughts on, on this decision? Yes, indeed, because I, like you, um, I'm in a similar position in, in the context now of several local plans I'm involved with where uh, letters have gone out from the inspectors about the 2018 figures. What I think is quite interesting, just on a procedural point, is that this inspector uh, asked council for their views. The council, in answering that question, referred to a statement from MHCLG uh, and what they had to say about the question marks in relation to those 2016 figures. So there was a bit of uh, information, if you like, that the mm. council took into account, which they were perfectly entitled to take into account and which in turn the inspector took into account. So one of my uh, points is, would it be helpful for MHCLG to say something to uh, the industry about the utility of the 2018 ONS figures? Mm. Because after all, the, um, th those figures uh, are not replicating the 2016 uh, figures in terms of methodology. That's, so that's, that's one point. And then um, also, um, just to note that I think in paragraph 146 of this very long judgment, there is a very useful summary of the principles that emerge from the Guildford case, mm. um, otherwise known as Compton. So if anybody out there is looking for a good summary of the, uh, the current state of the law on exceptional circumstances, uh, uh, I commend paragraph 146 of Holgate J's judgment. Thanks, Mary. Um, we've got another case, um, the Walker and, and Bath, the Northeast Somerset Council case. Chris, you're going to leave that off. Before you do, uh, we've got so many wonderful comments about, um, we shouldn't really have had a comment competition about your location. Um, I can't refer to them all, but I think my favourite one is, is, has Chris checked the tide table? I think if we, if we, if we drag this out for two or three hours, Chris, <laughs> he'll be neck deep. But tempting though that is, uh, uh, we, we won't do that. Uh, 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 and, uh, yeah, someone says Chris has gone to his tax haven in the Bahamas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on that note, um, Chris, t tell us about the, uh, the Baines case would like to make clear that I pay all my taxes. Thank you very much. And can I also thank Mary's firm because it was uh, the fabulous Simon Ricketts who helped uh, secure the, um, the helicopter service that reopened uh, yes. to the islands and got me here in 15 minutes yesterday. 15 minutes to the Isles of Scilly. And uh, thank you very much to Simon and uh, to the estate that have set up that uh, helicopter. So I'm actually sat in the chair of Robert Dorian Smith's Grandfather, I have brought a prestigious chair out so that I could sit. Anyway, I am meant to be talking about the law, so let me just talk briefly, if I may, about the case of um, uh, Susan Walker and North East Somerset Council. Now, this is a, a challenge brought to the grant of planning permission, and the key issue that I want to talk about is the reasons challenge that was made to the inadequacy or complete absence of suitable reasons provided for the grant of planning permission. Now there's no longer a statutory duty for that as we know but we've had various uh, incursions into that principle most obviously in the Supreme Court of the CPRE and Dover. This challenge was uh, brought by Susan Walker represented by uh, the fabulous Nina Pindham, uh, and um, Nina was assisted by Leanne Buckley-Thompson, both uh, from uh, my stable. And, and what they did was highlight the fact that um, there was absolutely 
no reasoning at all in this case for why the members rejected the officer's recommendation to refuse. And indeed, the part of the claimant's submissions were to say that every possible factor that the Supreme Court and the, uh, the lower court in Oakley had identified as being relevant to why it may be necessary to provide reasons were here. They was recommended against officer, um, the officer recommendation to refuse. Uh, it was contrary to the development plan. All of the factors were there, and the court seemed to have little doubt in finding that the reasons provided or the complete absence of reasons were inadequate. But the main issue, and there are lots of issues in the case, but the main issue seems to have centred around the, the failure to, of the committee to properly deal with the fact that the flood risk assessment didn't carry out any kind of sequential assessment. Now, the development was very popular locally. It was for a pub and it was for a redevelopment of the pub to try and retain its uh, presence in, in uh, Bath um, and was widely supported. Uh, there was a skittle alley that was listed that needed to be demolished and nine flats were the enabling development to try and deliver the preservation uh, and restoration of the pub back to its use. Um, and that's obviously what the members were focused on. But when it came to it, they didn't provide reasons for why they were granting planning permission, uh, and in particular in relation to um, the sequential assessment for flood risk. And what the court had to say uh, is very interesting. It picks up, um, as often is the case, and has been talked about by Mary, when another court case follows an earlier one. Sometimes you get the principles distilled and you get an idea of what the courts think are really important. And um, in this case, the, the first ground was that the committee uh, on behalf of the council erred in, in law in failing to provide sufficient reasons for granting planning permission, having departed from the officer's recommendation that the development fails the sequential test in respect to flood risk assessment and contrary to the placemaking plan policy five. And what the courts uh, have, uh, what the court said here was that um, they accepted the submission that um, although Oakley, which was another of these cases uh, about reasons, um, uh, was a case in the green belt, the approach adopted by the court was not limited to green belt cases. And the same applies to the approach that was adopted uh, by in the CPR, CPRE challenge in Dover. There isn't a limited list and therefore the courts will scrutinize whether there are relevant reasons why reasons should be provided. And the particularly strong reasons or sufficiently strong accumulation of reasons of particular force, the court said at paragraph 68, for concluding that those reasons should be given as existed in Oakley is not a minimum standard. You don't have to hit those particular points. And what I think we're seeing is the emergence of a very strong common law principle where reasons really are going to need to be given in situations where members overturn um, the, uh, the officer's recommendation to refuse. And, um, and that gives rise to lots of problems for planning committees up and down the country and the officers advising them, because it's not clear now when you are meant to provide reasons. It certainly isn't just Greenbelt or uh, very specific cases. Uh, and the consequence of which I think is that um, really we may have to move to a situation where we revert back to reasons needing to be provided. There's lots more to talk about in this case, but um, I need to top up my plan. <laughs> Keep your seat on, Chris. <laughs> Mary, back to you. Back to you for some comments on this one. Yeah, yes. I, 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 several things. Um, 
first of all, this is another example, actually, of a council <laughs> conceding and a landowner not. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think the, the other thing to say is that I would draw a distinction between cases like Greenbelt and uh, where you are in a flood risk, a high flood risk, and, and compliance with the sequential test is required. Because in those cases, the MPPF effectively mandates you uh, not to grant permission in certain circumstances. And because here the officer report uh, was recommending, um, it, it's just interesting that um, the reasons uh, the reasons challenged the council thought the reasons challenge was strong, and indeed they were they were right to concede. Mm. Um, thanks, Mary. Um, we're now going to move to the government and pins decisions of the week. I say the word government decidedly because the first decision is the decision of the Welsh ministers, um, and um, if there are um, two surefire themes about who uh, we got planning news for you, one, I mispronounce every word that's capable of being mispronounced. I'm not even going to remotely try and, and, and pronounce the, the name, the Welsh name of this power plant appeal. Uh, and the second rule is that Paul always talks about his victories, but that rule is accepted. Unless, uh, unless you've changed your name, Paul, you weren't actually involved in this case. Uh, so Paul, tell us, tell us um, how this word is pronounced and, uh, and what the decision was about. Uh, well, Dioc, uh, Charlie, and Fernanda to all our uh, Welsh uh, viewers. Uh, this is a case involving land uh, north of Slendre Road in Penicoid. Uh, okay. It's a written rets ensib uh, case, um, uh, it, it, which was decided by Welsh ministers on the 23rd of July, uh, and essentially gives consent for uh, a number of uh, gas-fired uh, generators, gas-powered generators, uh, to act as an emergency backup to the Welsh grid. Um, it's, it's a fairly straightforward NSIP case, but there are a couple of features to it that I think are really quite, quite genuinely interesting. Um, the first of which is, it's a decision for comparatively large-scale energy generation for 25 years on greenfield land close to residential properties, but it's considered to have a, mit a mitigated landscape effect. In other words, the landscape is mitigated down to minimal, um, which having had a quick look on the website uh, is a surprising conclusion, but it's all about the relationship of the uh, generators to the existing development. So it's interesting as an approach, which certainly I'll be uh, using in future. Um, next point in relation to it is how important need was in the overall planning balance. Um, a need to, to create an emergency backup to the existing generating capacity was considered to, to in effect, trump uh, other, other elements. There's an interesting reference in terms of Welsh guidance about be, uh, best and most versatile land being overriding. But my absolute favourite part of this decision is that it marks what I think is a high watermark for Welsh planning policy being distinct from English. Mm. When I started, my very first um, solo local planning inquiry was for Allen and Deeside. Uh, and in, in that, um, the, only the only difference in guidance between Wales and England was there was a Welsh version of PPG3, which had a reference to executive homes in the valleys. But other than that, PPG3 was exactly the same. On this decision, the inspector extensively referenced national guidance uh, in terms of the NPPS on energy generation. And Welsh ministers said, we are having absolutely no regard to that. The inspector may have had regard to it, but it's got nothing to do with Wales, brackets, despite it being UK government and UK parliament that passed it, but it's no relevance in Wales. 
that I think is pretty much a high water watermark. So the Ockinvar Charlie. Cheers, uh, cheers, Paul. Um, Chris, what's your take on it? Well, I think it's a very interesting case for what it says about energy production, both in England and, and Wales as well. But um, the applicant's case was that we're moving towards uh, renewable energy. In 2010, wind and solar generated only 8% of the UK's electricity. But by 2016, six years later, that had increased to 26%. We are on a one-way direction towards uh, renewable energy that includes the nuclear power plants that are now being built and um, what, what it, this case relied upon was the fact that most forms of renewable uh, electricity generation exhibit uncontrolled increases or decreases of output that means when the wind turbines don't turn and uh, when the tidal energy uh, isn't being generated obviously nuclear is a safety net against that but it was that particular point that they pursued and the threat to supply and the threat to volatility uh, or created by volatility that led to the national challenge to maintain a constant supply. And it was that in particular that the inspector focused on to say, well, this is very much needed. It was next to an existing facility and therefore many issues about noise, landscape impact and so on could be mitigated against. But um, it was that continuity of supply that was seen as particularly important as we move towards quite rightly, a more uh, recycle, uh, a more um, uh, energy uh, efficient approach to doing things and also having more renewable energy. And I'll just say uh, that here on Tresco, they have banned all plastics in the shops and everything that they sell. There are no plastics here at all. And um, that is hopefully how the rest of the mainland will move. Excellent, Chris. Um, thank Charlie, you. Can, can I, Charlie, can I just add, I, I yes. forgot to say at the very outset, um, there's also a next behind me I got consent for, a Marks and Spencers over there I got consent for, There's, um, a, a Jones Home scheme over there I got consent for. Stop bragging, um, stop bragging. Can I take you on a tour? <laughs> <laughs> You're, Sorry. Utterly shameless. Our special discussion topic for the first episode of season two is going to be Tucker defeats. Whole mm. uh, <laughs> summer collating them all. I've actually uh, run a search <laughs> going back twenty-five years, and I found three. Uh, <laughs> keep digging, keep digging. Uh, yeah. Now, from from Wales to Brentwood, and Sasha, you're going to tell us about the the, the blood centre uh, decision. I am, I am, and I'm also, I'm quite happy to mention Lanky the Giraffe, which will bring back memories for Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I dare <not> ask. <laughs> the, the mascot of Lancashire County Cricket Club. Now, I've got, can I just say, before I deal with the case, the most irritating message in modern technology is it when it says your internet signal is unstable. I mean, what the bloody hell are you supposed to do? Just keep going. Yeah, it's a bit like that, that says deer, deer the, the, when you're driving on a road and it says deer crossing. How, what, what behavioural change are you meant to do when you're driving on the road and the deer might jump into your car? Um, well, I've been, since, this, yeah. since this webinar started, I've been dealing with the bloody internet unstable. Anyway, I'm going to carry on. I'm going to talk about Brentwood, which is actually two points. Substance and process. In process, I don't know if you've noticed, this is a six-day inquiry that commenced on, it commenced on the 7th of July of this year and ended on the 14th of July and the decision is the 22nd of July. 
Eight days later, the inspector grants consent for 86 houses. I mean, oh. it's almost the remarkable thing, most remarkable thing of the lockdown that the pins mm. are releasing decisions eight days after the close of the inquiry. Um, there's also something else about it, and I don't want to be unkind to free fellow members of the planning bar, but I'm going to wager that the free advocates collectively probably have the oldest age ever done at a public inquiry that's me being slightly unkind but have a look and you'll see see who did it but anyway substance, <laughs> substance. <laughs> i apologize for that remark ladies and gentlemen <laughs> anyway anyway well yes, this is coming, this is coming someone from who's 52 anyway let me talk about the substance. I think as we talked about recently, what this shows is there is actually a very clear message from PINs finally about delivery of housing. I think this is a very clear case. Brentwood is distinguished by having a pretty lamentable housing land supply of 2.36 years, which is clearly highly material to the inspector in the planning balance, clearly tilted balance in play and a significant weight being given to the provision of affordable housing and market housing, and also it's noteworthy, which I don't think ever gets enough weight, frankly, reuse of Brownfield site and the efficient use of land, optimal use of land. And I think those are very, very important points which are often forgotten about. And it's just a straightforward planning balance of delivery. So actually in terms of the delivery of housing, it's a very good decision in terms of eight days later, an inspector who completely gets the gist of the MPPF. So congratulations to Miss Gilbert. And can I say, two of the three advocates I love dearly. I don't know Tim <laughs> very well, but Tim Corner's John Bag I'm very fond of. <laughs> Thanks, Sasha. I was, I, I was, I was going to just... Um, uh, well, we're going to come on and talk about the um, the PD changes later on, but I was going to use this as an illustration of um, how, at least to some extent, I think some of these PD changes uh, to enable the demolition of uh, vacant buildings and constructing new residential buildings is may well be a little more illusory than meaningful because um, the main issue, if you look at the inspector's decision in this case, the, the headings, the main issues are character and appearance, highways, flood risk and living conditions. They were the reasons for refusal by the local authority. Now, each of those things is something, character appearance is slightly, you know, basically the same thing, um, but highways, flood risk, living conditions, and then the design and appearance. Each of those things is something that requires prior approval. Um, so not an absolute you know, rubber stamp. Um, so how real um, will the, uh, the PD changes be to streamline the planning process? Um, I, I don't know whether the characteristics that particular site may mean that it would have qualified for the new PD right uh, once they come in. Um, uh, but if it had, um, the authority would have refused prior approval and the same inquiry would have happened. Um, so it's a useful kind of uh, acid test, I think, that case of, uh, of the, re the reality of uh, um, what's been observations. Um, we're now going to go, we've got one more, so I think it's for the first time, we've got three um, decisions of the week, as I said, it was a splurge of, of activity, and we're now going to Dorset, um, and Mary, you're going to tell us about the Dorset Solar decision and um, the commentary in particular on valued landscapes in that case. Uh, yes, this is a decision um, by Neil Pope, uh, and um, in this particular case, this was a, a, a site um, which was being promoted, as you say, for the solar farm. And that site was in a very sensitive area. In particular, it formed the setting of 
three conservation areas and also the settings of a number of listed buildings. Uh, and so the inspector had to weigh, as it were, the benefits, uh, the undisputed benefits of providing for the production of energy from this renewable resource against any uh, perceived harmful impacts, both to the character and appearance of the area and also these designated heritage assets. And the inspector, in terms of the benefits, the inspector gave substantial benefits in the environmental uh, effect of the uh, solar energy. He gave um, moderate weight to the ecological benefits and he gave moderate weight to the economic uh, benefits. When it came to the question of heritage assets, um, he, he identified that there was harm, uh, less than uh, su substantial harm to each of these assets. And he had to, he had to, and he did give that harm considerable weight. The, the really interesting bit of, of this decision is when he said, but it's just down to the, Sorry. If, when it was, if it was just down to the heritage assets versus, and, and the harm to those heritage assets versus the benefits, uh, the economic and environmental benefits, it, it would have been a very uh, finely balanced um, decision. And it, it would have been a decision in, in, in favor, but what really swung it against and why he in the end dismissed it was the impact on the character and appearance in terms of the landscape. And in this particular uh, appeal, the development was limited to a period of 40 years, not a five-year period. I'm sorry for the interference on, on the line. And because effectively of that period of 40 years, he took the view that the harm that he identified in terms of the harm to the valued landscapes carried considerable weight in the overall planning balance. And that really um, swung it, I'm afraid, and resulted in the appeal being dismissed. Thanks, Mary. Um, Sasha, what's your take on it? Well, uh, before I, my take on it, I'm just worried if Paul's met an old girlfriend who's in the car park. So I'm <laughs> 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 door stepping. <laughs> just, just to be clear, my wife. Anyway, he's being stalked. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Well, she's I'm obviously sure she's can't think about such matters. Um, my, my take on this case, again, I did want to say it's noteworthy that Neil Pope carried out his site visit on the 15th of, of, of January, sorry, 15th of July, and again, the decision was the 23rd of July. So, again, really quick decisions being reached on considerations of this kind. Uh, it's slightly, slightly interesting. Well, I mean, the weight given to heritage is really noteworthy. And as Mary said, it's problematical for the new... Mm. Oh, 
Oh, I think we're losing Sasha. We lost you. I noticed somebody said it, it, it's, it's ironic the internet seems to be more stable in the silly islands than in Devon or the Midlands. <laughs> <laughs> My hunch is that Chris has got his own private internet generator. <laughs> Sasha, we'll come back to you if you... If you are, you the, are you there? Oh, we got you yeah. back. The, the estate oh. set up the, uh, my own mobile Wi-Fi on the beach. How cool is that? That is very, very cool. I should say, Chris, I'm talking about you on the beach. Um, somebody has, we're not allowed to say names, although the GDPR police will come and take me away and lock me up in The Hague. But um, um, somebody has said, uh, is your finale, the, uh, your, your goodbye to this season at the end of this episode, going to be you stripping down to your speedos and running into the sea? Well, yeah, I, know, I know exactly who's asked that, and I know exactly how uh why he said that but if i do that um i, I would lose all professional reputation uh if i haven't already <laughs> can we have an editorial meeting before that happens please <laughs> there's 200 quid going for the for charity of choice if you do certainly for me um really uh, uh, somebody else uh, a good friend of mine has has just uh, said uh, i think we ought to just note that the, the guess, the, the um, Greater Exeter strategic plan, I think if, I'm, if I've got the relation right, um, the guess looks like it's in trouble. Um, a number of you might have uh, seen that, that uh, the um, East Devon uh, strategic planning committee has voted to, to recommend that the council withdraw from the guest. I think it's got to go to a full council so that the nail isn't yet um, in the coffin, but it's been prepared, it's being held and the hammers in the hands of the, of the council. And yet they're saying at the same time they want to cooperate with their neighbours. So uh, an interesting approach to duty to cooperate, to duty to cooperate. They want to cooperate without, without um, cooperating. Um, uh, Charlie, doesn't that sound just like South Oxfordshire, who wanted to have their cake and eat it? And um, I'm afraid that looks like it's going the same way as the West of England plan around Bristol. These, these strategic plans are struggling, aren't they? Absolutely. And the guests, I mean, for those who do, who like me, and I know, you know some of you do lots of work in that part of the country, I mean, that, it, this is massive, actually. Uh, and what it's bound to end up meaning is planning on appeal, yeah. uh, which is good for the five of us, but not necessarily very good for, um, for, for the planning system in that area. Um, so um, uh, thanks um, to the person who, who mentioned that. And um, uh, it may be that we'll come back to that in series two uh, once, once there's more news in relation to it. Um, let's move on and uh, we've now completed the, the, the tour of the, the splurge of decisions and court cases um, and we move on to the legislative changes, the, the use classes order and the uh, PD rights and um, uh, Mary you're going to kick us off with um, Class E and the other uh, amendments to the use classes order. Indeed, so um, let me just set the scene a little. Um, on the 31st of August, we have at 9am on the 31st of August, we have the first Town and Country Planning General Permitted Development Order Amendment coming into force. And then we have a second one coming into force an hour later at 10am. Isn't that curious? Um, and then on the 1st of September, we have the amendments to the use classes regulations coming into uh, force. So there's a lot happening. And I'm going to start with the um, first of those general permitted development orders. And, and the first of those is focusing in particular on upward extensions to buildings. And it's introducing a new permitted development right to allow existing houses to be extended to provide more living space by constructing additional stories 
and the construction of additional stories on freestanding blocks and buildings in a terrace that are houses or in certain commercial uses and in mixed uses with an element of housing to create additional self-contained houses. So, so the first of the changes <laughs> to facilitate more, uh, in theory, more residential um, development. But the second change to the um, PD is one which also allows for the demolition of certain buildings to be replaced by new homes. But I think by far the most uh, far-reaching in, in, in potentially in practice is the use class mm. regulations. Mm. And in particular, uh, what we see there is the introduction of this new class E. So there is going to be a new commercial business and service class. And I, and I just want to pause and remind everybody, particularly as I suspect that the majority of our readers, uh, and I'm sorry, our listeners, I shouldn't say readers, the majority of our listeners are our planners. Um, I think we do need to remember this very important point that planning control is only one of the regimes that control the use of buildings. Many of your clients may come to you over the next days and weeks seeking your advice about the changes to the use class order. Do remember that many of them will have leases mm. and that those leases will have user clauses. Mm. And as Patrick Robinson, one of my fellow partners who started off life as a, a property partner, uh, reminded me, there is clear law um, in, in a case involving the brewers that there's clear law that changes to the use classes order doesn't render automatic changes to user clauses in leases. Now I know I'm straying, this is a planning show and I'm straying a bit, but it is actually quite an important mm -hmm. practical point. So even if you are able to um, take the benefit of some of these changes in planning terms, your clients will all have to check whether in fact they can take the benefit of the changes in terms of the uh, terms of their lease. And I imagine that some of our listeners will of course be developers who own uh, uh, buildings or uh, those advising pension funds who advise to own buildings. That's another, just another really practical thing. But to, to, to come back to the come back to the changes themselves um it's worth just mentioning the government's explanation for all of this because the government's explanation is that the new class e allows a mix of to reflect changing retail and business models mm. and it's recognizing also that a building might be used for a number of uses over the course of a day and a, a night. Um, so it's designed to facilitate these changes in a, a more flexible way, thus giving businesses greater freedom. Um, and, and one hopes helping everyone to pick up after um, the current difficulties that we find ourselves in. So I digress a little, but th the first point is that we've got this new class E and it incorporates 
Class A, A1, A2, A3, and B1. It also includes uh, such as gyms, nurseries, and health centers. Um, so that's, that's the first sort of headline point. The, the second headline point is that there's a new class, class F1, and that's learning and non-residential institutions. Uh, and that involves um, really uses which bring the public together, such as schools, libraries, museums, and art, art galleries. And then there's a new class F2, uh, which is a local community use, incorporating the previous class D2, the assembly and, and leisure uh, uses. Um, and there are certain restrictions in terms of uh, the size of, of, of these buildings. And the, the other headline thing to note is that the, the C classes, the residential classes, a class near and dear to many of your hearts, that doesn't change. B2 doesn't change, B8 doesn't change. Um, and the former Class A4 and Class A5, so that's the drinking establishments and the takeaways, they are now sui generis uses, so that if you want to change from, say, A1 to those uses, um, come the 1st of September, you need a permit permission. And I don't think that there would be any sort of surprise about, about that. So, so those, in a, in a nutshell, that's the headline. Thanks, Mary. Um, we were going to talk about some of the, the other ones, but I think let's just jump straight to our kind of commentary on the, um, on the subsidies. And, uh, you know, I've already said it in my own feel for the PD rights of these is that the changes are, are quite possibly more illusory than, than real. Um, what do the rest of you think? Paul, what's your take on it? Is, is this a, as big a deal as it's being made out to be by the government? Uh, I, I think that, uh, oops, sorry, I also have an unstable internet connection, although I've got lots of consents around here. I've obviously not got broadband, so I missed that. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that Andy Shepley, one of our um, viewers, has got it absolutely spot on. This is like, like Brexit. It's uh, viewed as being some sort of panacea to the world's ills. It's very complicated, will create an awful lot of work for lawyers and probably will only actually benefit very few people. When you drill into the details of, of all this, this is ludicrously complicated. The bigger, the bigger points, I think, to be honest, are the points that we flagged up on episode one of this show, which is a bit of a sill holiday, please. Um, extension of planning permission. Um, and also let's have some virtual inquiries and hearings. Um, eventually, eventually, government has worked out and, and done all three of those elements. Those are the, the bigger pictures, but I suspect that Mary's right, that this is what we're going to hear an awful lot of over the, the course of the next few weeks. And there's going to be an awful lot of people needing an awful lot of advice, both before and after they seek to take advantage of the UCO. Absolutely. And the, the other thing, of course, is, is that because the interpretation of um, the, the, the PD, um, GPDO and, and use classes order is a question of law, this is all hard-edged stuff. And if local authorities are alleged to have got it wrong, it's, it's, it would completely within the legitimate crosshairs of the court. So I think we could see quite a lot of challenges. Uh, what do you think, Chris and Sasha? Do you want to go first? No, no, you go. Okay. Uh, well, I think it's that um, I understand what the government's doing about this uh, upward expansion. I uh, did an inquiry in Bromley not so long ago, the uh, Dylan case. Wandering around the big streets of Bromley, I noticed, because it's obviously an extremely affluent area, 
uh, within London. Um, but there is a lot more four and five story development on top of existing buildings. Um, and that's because obviously of the values in that area. And some of it has been done in stages as well. And I think that's what they're, they're going for. That's what they're aiming for in terms of trying to achieve um, more capacity. Plenty of people have got their children uh, still with them at home uh, and that's creating space. Um, but somebody's got a reversing alarm on. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> Paul, Paul, can I encourage you not to broadcast in future from car parks? It just says all the wrong things. <laughs> um, can, can I? Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, oh. I think the real issue, the real big excitement is around the used classes order. I think that's hugely significant. And I don't honestly think the government has thought through all the implications of that. Lots of people have commented about this, lots of people have said, you know, what are the implications? I think that's going to unravel and create lots and lots of complications, but it's certainly very, very dramatic. There's no two ways about it. But also I think given where we are and given the accelerated demise of the high street, um, I think entirely necessary. So whilst it is a bit frightening and it is very brave, I think it has been the right thing to do. Thanks, Chris. Sash? Well, I, I'm going to reverse my position that I took with Sue the uh, two weeks ago. And I'm going to say, what happened to consultation? Why can't we ask people what they think about these things before we do it? I mean, this, I just call me old fashioned, but it wouldn't be a bad thing to ask people in the know. When you see the level of concern expressed by the professional organisation, it's pretty powerful. And mm -hmm. I think that the government really, I'm going to ask all those who take decisions, and particularly our politicians, ask those who know about these things. I mean, it'd be quite a, quite a scoop for Paul to choke to death on air, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible thing. At least you're close to the hospital. Tell the dentist to start resuscitation. Can I respond on behalf of the government to uh, what Sasha has to say? Because actually, um, there was consultation at the end of October 2018. <laughs> And that is the consultation, you'll be interested to know, that they uh, refer to and explain in the memorandum that they publish alongside. And, and they say that uh, they ran this consultation until the beginning of January and they had a total of 276 responses. So um, I think governments would say there has been some consultation. Well, yeah, I know. There's consultation where you listen and there's consultation you carry out and don't listen. And, yeah. I think and, and, and in fairness, the, the report from uh, the UCL Bartlett School was only published the day before these changes were announced. So in terms of reading through an 80-page report, that's not very fair. I, I take your point, Mary, but that's not proper consultation. The point that somebody's made, I think it's worth just flagging up, a, a really good point actually, which is um, that use class E could be a nightmare when compiling transport assessments, because if you're seeking planning permission for a class E, then um, it would seem logical that you're going to have to consider the trip generation characteristics of all the different land uses, because the local authority will want to address the new development for its worst case, regardless of the actual intended immediate use. Indeed, indeed, it does. It will it will complicate things at the outset. But the idea is that once you've got your permission, you can move with much more fluidity. And actually, I think for businesses to be able to come and go is great. Mm. We, we must, Chris. Quick point. Then we must crack on to the next uh, segment.
really quick point. Sasha made the point about proper consultation. We're about to have a consultation, I think, on the standard method. That drives everything to do with the amount of housing we have in this country. Please, please, to those in government, make it a proper consultation. Listen to people, because this is the one dynamic that needs to be absolutely changed to get the housing delivered that ministers say they want. And if you don't listen to, to, to the professional bodies and you don't do that, nobody will take ministers seriously about their commitment to deliver more homes. Get the requirements right and a lot falls into place. Yeah. Um, Champion of the week. Um, I'm going to deal with this. I, I thought long and hard about this. I was very tempted to say, uh, nominate as the champion of the week, uh, the chap who walked down Oxford Street wearing nothing but a face mask on his face. Uh, <laughs> I've got the perfect alibi. <laughs> oh, oh, no. if, if you want to know more, then look up the evening standard. But no, I'm, I'm actually going to nominate, and, and Paul, you might want to tell us a bit more about this, the people responsible for organising the South Oxfordshire EIP. Um, I read on the Planning Resource website that 800 local residents watch a live stream on the first week alone. Um, and that, to me, that's a great illustration of how digital technology can make us more inclusive. Yeah, it's unlike that number of pending EIP in person, even before with. And dare I say, it's also a powerful repost to those who said digital events couldn't be reconciled with public participation. I don't know who's responsible for setting up the live stream and showing all went smoothly. I imagine it was a combination of South Oxford and South Oxford. But bravo to all concerned. I think you did a great job. Can I just say, though, Charlie, what it will do is it will expose just the, the paucity of debate that you actually have as an examination. So yeah. the more people that see just what a rotten system it is and how the previous system which allowed proper scrutiny of public decisions was far, far better. The more people that see that, the better. So long may this continue. Very yeah. good point, Paul. Um, nudge of the week. Sasha, you're going to tell us. Gosh, am I? Wow. Well, my, my nudge of the week is... <laughs> <laughs> this is a genuinely unscripted moment. The nudge of the week. I'm going to give the nudge of the week I think, who shall I give it to? Let me think about this. I would like to give the nudge of the week. I, I think I make a very serious point. I've just spent the, been in the High Court this week on the, the rules of public law, and I do think the point we made earlier, I really want engagement. Nudge of the week is to the, those in power with our system, start listening to stakeholders. If you're going to make changes, when you've got four of the most powerful organisations in our field raising concerns, something is going wrong. And listen to that collective wisdom. So stop using the planning system as a political football and listen to people with the knowledge to tell you what's right or wrong. That's my nudge. Here, here. Um, now, before we finish, we're going to have a couple of... Um, of bespoke slots and, and what we're going to do now is just each of us pick a verbal highlight of the series and I'm going to kick this off and after much reflection um, and in the knowledge of, of what other people are going to say um, so I'm um, but I'm going to pick Chris's alfresco performance last week firstly because it was hilarious and I very um, and secondly because um, uh, the performance from the roof of Bart Wimble's office Ed Sweet scene of your digital inquiry my mind was a great sign of how the wheels of the planning appeal system are starting to turn again. 
the contrast to where we were when the was started when there was complete stasis. Um, honourable mentions to Sasha's badger haircut, um, another sort of cleaner, and uh, John Boer's Barnard Castle beer. Um, but those are my, my thoughts. Uh, Mary. Well, my, um, one of my, my memorable, I'm going to choose my, Paul, actually. I'm going to choose the moment when Paul told us all um, a, a, about a council that had made a decision mm. uh, about a series um, of policy changes in relation um, to how they were going to be proactive uh, to respond to COVID, when actually it turned out they hadn't made the decision. <laughs> But they did the following week. Yes, yes. That's brilliant. Yeah. And can I say, I was on the receiving end of about 30 emails from people asking me, where can we find it? Where can we find it? But can I say, I want to, I want to say my memorable moment. I, I've been cycling through Plymouth today, which is Mary is the Queen of Plymouth. And Mary gave me a professional whacking in 2015 across eight days. And I would just like to say, I think Mary's comment about her early life at the bar and her contribution to equality was the most unbelievable moving 15 minutes we've had on the whole series. And I, I commend her for her openness, transparency and commitment to equality that she's shown. And the way she articulated it was remarkable. Thank you, Sasha. I more. Absolutely. Paul. Uh, well, I, I was going to pick that one. We should have really practiced this in advance, frankly. Um, I agree with every word that Sasha's just said. Um, and two of my fe fellow panellists have made me cry this year. One of them was Mary, uh, who brought a tear to my eye um, with her frankness and the difficult um, world in which she was regrettably started her career. And she spoke with passion and eloquence and a real testimony. And the other is Sasha, who on the Peeble Wellness um, uh, Seminar also brought a tear to my eye. That's something I never expected. The highlight of all this, uh, the friends that I've made, the fun that we've had, and also the fact that I've appeared publicly as Chris Young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul, Sorry. When, when we're against each other next uh, and, and you get the decision letter, I'll get bring a tear to your eye too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cheers, Charlie. <laughs> Chris. Well, my, my absolute favourite was uh, we had Nigel Jones on the show and uh, for a bit of comedy, Nigel uh, explains that um, as well as having a drink, he was uh, eating Dorset knobs and quick as a flash, Sasha, with his characteristic wit, said, well, some people, Nigel, would say, with the exception of Mary, there are four knobs on this programme. <laughs> <laughs> Superb. Uh, thanks, everybody, for that. Um, now, Mary, you're going to do a quick uh, shout-out, aren't you, before we close Yes. Up? My shout-out is for this year's Not the Oxford uh, Planning Conference event. This is taking place on Friday, the 11th of September, and um, it's a free uh, webinar, and it involves Hashi Mohammed from Number 5, Baroness Brown, uh, and Lord Kerslake, and Jonathan Easton from King's Chambers, and you can, you can get to this via the JPLC website, or if you go on to LinkedIn and you click on JPLC Oxford, you'll be able to get to the registration details. It's, it's an our Friday afternoon event, and it'll be very informative. Do join us if you can. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. Um, 
Well, that's it. Thank you so much for joining us again. Charlie, before we go, can yes. I just do one thing? Because I want to win a bet because my wife said she sponsored yes. me if I if we have a special guest. Can I just introduce, can Rocky be our special guest today? Yes, oh, Rocky, there you go. I win, I win my <laughs> bet. Bet one. Um, I just wanted to say before we go, thanks to all our viewers, obviously all our loyal viewers who've uh, we've been really bowled over by how many uh, uh, people and, and the quality of the viewers and the comments, the comments, and it's been great. So thank you all. But I also want to thank all our guests. Um, and without um, uh, wanting to exclude anybody, I wanted to give a particular to our first guest, Bridget Rosewell. Bridget, I know you're listening, um, and I'm sorry that probably means I'm really sure you be all right. Um, uh, because Bridget, by gracing us with your in our very second episode before this really became a massive thing. Um, you really set the paved the way for all the many other eminent guests to follow, including, of course, uh, two um, members of the planning inspectors, um, Sarah Richards and Sid Smith. Uh, great to get them, and all the other guests too. So, um, thanks, Bridget, for us off, and we look forward to having you back later in the year. Um, we're back in September for series two, which is taking place. Although, keep your eyes peeled, we've got one more thing lined up for you in the next few days. We're not going to say what it is because someone might nick the idea. But watch this space, um, and uh, we'll communicate that on LinkedIn and on our website uh, shortly. Don't forget the donations to the NHS, another charity of your choice. Uh, and um, see you in September. But as I say, keep uh, keep your eyes out for our little encore. Um, and um, uh, cheers. 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 Well, that was the show. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, uh, please do consider making a charity donation. And if you want to watch us as well as listen, the show is broadcast live at 5pm on a Thursday. And it's also available afterwards to view on our YouTube channel. Thanks very much to our producer and IT guru, Rob Newbury of Blue Bear IT. Music was provided with the permission of the Ruby Tuesdays. <laughs>